Romans uh, chapter 8, we're going to be looking at a very familiar verse, a verse that uh, is often quoted, one of the, probably the most quoted verses in uh, all the Bible. Before we get to that this morning, uh, just to have a question, do you, uh, do you like it when, uh, you know, you've been looking forward to a game all week and uh, you've got a conflict on the schedule and uh, you're not going to be able to watch the game live, and so you've got you've pressed uh, uh, record, and you're going to watch it at a later date, a uh, later time. And before you get home, you know you've either gotten an alert on your phone or somebody has told you the score of the game. How many like those moments? <laughs> no, none of us like those moments, do we? Uh, we don't, uh, you know, we, we like to, to watch it in person and, and, you know, just get caught up in the suspense and the drama. And when we find out the score ahead of time, it just kind of lets the air out of our, our balloon. Well, you know, there was a, um, uh, research that was, uh, that occurred at, uh, UC San, San Diego a few years ago. And, uh, they learned through this research, they did, uh, they had these groups and they shared with these groups these 12 short stories. And for half the group, I'm not sure how this all took place, uh, they told them the end of the story. And for the other group, you know, they just worked their way through like normally we like to, like to do, whether we're watching a, a movie or reading a book or something of this nature. And they discovered that those who were told the end of the story ahead of time enjoyed the story a lot more. And we think there's, how can that be? And, um, you know, if you think about it, you know, some of you have watched movies or read books two or three or four or five times. And the reason why you go back and you read those books or watch those movies again is because, you know, you know the end of the story, but uh, you're going to kind of pick up on the storyline. There's going to be some nuances of that movie or that story that you hadn't seen before because you were so stressed out watching the movie the first time around. And, uh, you know, for those of us who... and so. Learning that, that kind of makes sense that, uh, you know, we can appreciate the storyline, uh, and understand, and see some of the deeper meanings that we would have missed initially. I know that you all know that I'm a big Giants fan, San Francisco Giants fan. And this has been a miserable season. I think we're 35 games behind the Dodgers. We are in, we are in the cellar of cellars and I have not enjoyed the season. I haven't even paid attention to the scores. But you know, over the last two weeks, I think I'm becoming a baseball fan again. Because the Dodgers have lost nine games in a row. They, I think they've lost 13 out of 15 games. And so I'm watching their season unravel. And uh, had I known this, 
you know, at the beginning of the season, maybe I would have uh, picked, kept watching the, the baseball uh, season more than I, I have. Now, um, I know for you who are Dodgers fans, you're probably very offended at me right now. But, hey, that uh, goes with the territory, I guess. But um, this morning, as we look at uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul is giving us a, a spoiler alert. Okay, because uh, we see our lives unfolding and uh, and we don't know the direction that's going to go or what's happening or why it's happening. And and we're not going to get into the reasons why it happens, but but there's a purpose behind all of this that we're going to look at this morning. But I want to look at Romans chapter eight, verses twenty eight through thirty. Paul says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined... He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul is giving us a spoiler alert when it comes to our personal lives. Now, you may be in a chapter of the book that God's writing in your life right now, and it's not a chapter that you... um, ever asked for or anticipated. Maybe the chapter is entitled Divorce or Cancer or Unemployment. I don't know what the chapter is in your life. And uh, and you're, you're seeing... Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's, that's a wonderful promise, Pastor, but I don't see how it could possibly apply to my life. I, I don't know where God is coming from in the chapter I find myself in my personal life right now. Well, as Paul is writing these words, we need to understand that uh, for the Christians back in in Rome, it wasn't going well for them either. I mean, to to be a follower of Christ uh, t- with the audience that Paul is writing to, uh, it was very dangerous for them. They 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 could lose their job. They could lose their family. They could lose their own personal life. And so things aren't any different for these believers than they are for us today. But there is a promise. And it was a promise just as true for them as it is true for us today. Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, as we've been going through uh, Romans chapter 8, I've shared on a couple occasions that uh, 
Romans 8 is the promises of Romans chapter 8 isn't for everybody. It's for those whose lives are in Christ. But when we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, there is a key to this promise that all things work together for good. And the key is this, for those who are loving God. Okay? Now, God loves us. God loves everybody. Okay? And for those whom he's called, um, who, that, who are his children, who are in Christ, yes, there are some promises, but there is an, there's an activity on our part in verse 28. For all things to work together for good is there is a responsibility for us that we need to be loving God back. There, there is a, a mark, there is a mark for us as Christians that identify us as God's people and that mark is that we are loving God. Now what does loving God look like? Well, John spells it out pretty clearly in John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. You say you're a lover, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you really love God, you are going to keep his commands. And not just the commands that are convenient, that don't cost us anything. No, it's all the commands. That doesn't mean that we do things perfectly all the time. We, we're humans and, and, and we mess up. But there's, but there's the desire to want to be obedient to the things of God. To keep his commandments, to be that, that light and that testimony to those around us. And so we have a responsibility, Christian. If we are loving God, that we are keeping his commands. So that's the key to this uh, promise here. And it's an essential mark that we are loving God. Now... There are a lot of Christians who love to quote this verse. All things work together for good for those who love God. And in their minds, they interpret this as, you know, if, if I become a Christian, I surrender my life to Jesus, nothing bad is ever going to happen in my life. And you will never find that in the Bible. That's not what Paul is saying in this verse. He says, there's going to be a lot of things that happen in our life. And they're going to be good things and bad things. But God is going to use all of those to promote, to, to do something good in our lives. It's going to work together for good. There's a lot of Christians right now, as we speak in Florida who love God with all their hearts that find themselves in, in shelters and they are gripped by fear right now because they could lose everything. Yes, they will be left for their lives, but there is the possibility that there is nothing to go back to. 
But even in those moments of desperation, of crisis, when everything but your life is lost, you know what? God is still working. God is going to use it. And when we look at Romans chapter 8, the context of this promise, of this glorious promise, the context is suffering. Look at verse... Um, look at verses 17 and 18 of Romans 8. And if children and heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to Futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Verses 22 through 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a lot of groaning taking place right now in in Texas, in Louisiana, and now Florida. And Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. That word know is mentioned 13 times in the New Testament. And when you see that word no, that is, that's a no that, um, you can have confidence. You know, this isn't just wishful thinking on our part. When Paul says in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for, for good. That's not wish, wishful thinking. That is something that you can take to the bank. And just as he uses the word no in verse 28, he uses the same word no in verse 22 as we look at creation grown around us. So Paul is going out of his way to remind us or show us that there is suffering involved in living out this life and living our lives for Jesus. But the thing that he wants us to take away or wants us to know is life is hard, but, but God is for our good. God can be trusted in the midst of difficulty. God is good. God is for our good. And he's working all this stuff that happens in our life for our good. Now we need to define good. What's good? The word for good in this passage of scripture is agathon. And it means morally or intrinsically good. When God is working for our good, it's not a superficial good. Okay? Yes, the Dodgers have lost nine games in a row. That's good if you're a Giants fan. But that's not the kind of good that Paul's talking about here. That's a superficial good. 
when God is working uh, the the bad and the good in our life, the good things that happen when he when he's working in all these things, it's for our moral, intrinsical good. <clears throat> I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got some ingredients up here. You know, several years ago, I made a comment that uh, got me in trouble with my wife. I said, uh, you know, it's it's easy to make cake these days. Um, all you have to do is take a cake mix and an egg and pour and water, mix it all together, and you can make a cake. I don't think my wife has ever made a, a cake from scratch before. And when I said that, boy, was I in trouble. She said, Bill Logan, you have no idea. So uh, I have... Uh, Every time she makes a cake from scratch now, she reminds me before I take a bite. Now, this was from scratch. Yes, dear. Thank you. It tastes wonderful, dear. And so uh, I knew I was in this text uh, this morning, and so I humbly approached Susan and asked her, Dear, could you tell me what the ingredients are in making a cake from scratch. (laughs) And she gracefully said yes. And so I have some of these ingredients up here this morning. And so I want to make a cake for you. Okay, well, try to make a cake or attempt, not, not everything, but I just want to share with you some of the ingredients that goes into a cake from scratch. Okay, and you would think in making a cake that all the ingredients that you put into this cake mix or batter is going to taste good. Uh, it would just seem to make sense. And so I have some flour. You know, I've never tried to taste flour all by itself. Ah, but, you know, it doesn't taste good. But for a cake, it requires flour. So put the flour in the in the batter. Water requires water. Water is good, and I need water right now. That wasn't one of the ingredients. Water? Well, in my cake, we'll put water in there. That's that's gotta work, okay? Take out some of that dryness. What's that? Is goes in the box mixes. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there's some, there's some other ingredients. Baking soda. Okay. How, why, why would you want to put baking soda in a cake? But apparently it's a necessary ingredient. Uh, I don't know how much baking soda is required, but, uh, I'm not going to try to taste that. So, baking soda. Sugar. Now this makes sense. Okay. That sugar goes into, um, a cake. And so I'm going to pour a lot of sugar in this cake because uh, you want that cake to taste good. <laughs> baking powder. I have no idea what baking powder does, what it does, but Susan said I needed baking powder. So I've got to put some baking powder in that cake mix. Again, that does, that's not a, an ingredient that tastes very good. So I don't know why. Oil. You need oil. Maybe this was what was the water was all about. But you gotta have oil for your cake mix, and so you pour the oil in the cake like that. 
It's a chocolate cake. All right, yeah, chocolate cake. That's awesome. So you got to have your chocolate. So, you know, I'm a big chocolate lover, so I'm going to put as much as possible in this cake like that. Oh, you got to have milk, okay? Milk is a good ingredient. So uh, we're going to put some milk in this cake. And let's see, am I missing? You know, I seems like with every recipe, you got to have some salt. Now, Susan didn't mention any salt, but so you need salt, okay? So, uh, you know, salt by itself doesn't taste great, but you got to put some salt in this cake mix. So there's some salt. And then eggs. You got to have eggs for the cake mix, right? So I'll crack the eggs and, oh, made a mess there. Kind of get this in. Ah. Okay, eggs in the cake mix. Salmonella, maybe so. I don't know. Wipe myself off here. Oh, the vanilla. Yeah, you got to have vanilla here. So what? Just a little bit? Okay. Like that? All right. Okay. I think, I think we got all the ingredients here. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8.28 that uh, God is working all these things for our good. Now, working together is uh, the Greek word. I forget the, the name of the Greek word, but it's where we get our word synergy. And what God is doing, he's taking all those good things and those bad things, and he's mixing them together. So we're going to mix them together, stir it real good. But we're not done yet, are we? Okay, you got your cake mix, and you got to put it in a cake pan. It's kind of a cake pan. And we pour all that cake mix into that cake pan. Okay, you guys are going to remember the servant, I know. <laughs> and then where does it go? In the oven. In the fire. <laughs> In the garbage. <laughs> That's not part of the sermon. But in the heat. Okay? And not a convenient temperature of like... 73 degrees or something like that. What, 350 degrees? Yeah, know that part. 350 degrees for four hours. No, not four hours. But you put it in the heat. And if you don't put it, when, when you take it out of the heat, out of the oven, what happened? It's transformed. It has been, uh, it has transformed into something glorious. Tasty doesn't t- doesn't look like it's going to taste very good here, but when you bring it out of the oven, the oven, Christian, God does a transformation, a renewal, something good that is going to be glorious. That's. The promise to those who love God, who are keeping His commandments. And I'm a mess right now. 
Some of you are in that chapter. And you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is God doing? You know, I'm tasting things right now that are bitter, that are awful. And yet Paul is saying that he's mixing, he's working all these things for our good. And I could take you to passages after passage in the Bible where God is working in ways that we never anticipate. It, I, you have a couple in your in your outline this morning. You have Deuteronomy chapter 11 or chapter 8. Moses is preparing the children of Israel to uh, go into the promised land. And he's... He's telling the Israel, don't forget what has happened to you in this desert. Yeah, it's been 40 years and it hasn't been easy. But look at verse 15. Verse 15. He says, do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. Does that sound familiar this morning? Okay, we're here in Ridgecrest. We're here in the desert. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He's working all of that for their good, and he's working all of it in your life right now for your good. Let me just read Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71. and says, I used to wander off until you disciplined me. But now I closely follow your word. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me because I needed it. My suffering, the psalmist says, was good for me. So what is God doing with all that is occurring in our life right now? And oftentimes we have no control of. Instead of looking for the reason or wanting to know a reason as to why all these things are happening in our life, we need to be looking for God's good purpose to come out of life's hard pain. What is God's good purpose for my life? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is wanting to conform every one of us as we go through the good and the bad. Conform us to the image of his son. 
And so I want to just encourage you with three takeaways this morning as we look at both the good and the bad and what we are going, we, what we are to learn through these situations. Number one, God's purpose is drawing me closer to Christ. He wants to use these circumstances in our life to draw us closer to Him. Paul had an infirmity. Uh, He had very poor eyesight. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he prayed on many occasions that God would remove this infirmity, that he would, he, that he would, that in his weakness that he'd be made strong. God never took away that problem, that, that, Disability, that debilitating issue in his life. He never took it away. But Paul learned that in his weakness, Christ could be made strong in his life. And so it caused him to be more and more dependent on his Lord and Savior, Jesus. So God wants to use um, pain, Difficulty to draw us closer to Christ. God wants to use the difficulties in our life to make me more like Christ. You know, when difficulties happen in our life, it, it fricks our conscience, conscience. It, it makes us more aware of our sin. And we're, more willing or, or there's a desire to cry out to God and ask God to forgive us of our sin. God is reminding us of areas of our lives where we've been disobedient. So, uh, it can make us more like Christ in those ways. It can also make us more like Christ when we go through difficulty, when we see maybe one of our children suffering, um, and we're going, just going through a hard time. God can use that hard time to make us more sensitive to people who are going through similar situations. We become more compassionate. Uh, we we come, become more sensitive to what other people are going through. And as we show compassion, as we give, provide ministry, we're becoming more like Jesus. But the third purpose... Uh, in suffering, <clears throat> in conforming us to his image, is that in those times of suffering, there's going to be a point where he's going to take us home to be with Christ. Where you and I are going to be glorified and we are going to be with him forever and ever. Paul is giving us the spoiler alert for what's going to happen in our lives down the road. He's giving us the end of the story. And for those who love God, though for those who are in Christ, it is going to be a glorious ending. But I think for Christians, a lot of times, they don't see that 
last part of their life as being a glorious ending? I understand people who have prayer requests and uh, are fearful of loved ones or friends who are struggling with physical ailments and uh, they may not make it uh, past this, this, uh, this health episode. But you know, oftentimes as they share that request, it kind of comes across like this is absolutely the worst thing that could ever happen to them. And yet for Christians, the last breath we take here, the next is going to be the most glorious thing that could ever happen in our lives when we meet Jesus face to face for all eternity. You know, I say that and I don't want to come across as, as cold and heartless. I understand because I have loved ones too. And I want to pray that God would heal them, that they would, God would extend their days. But my friend, even if that is to occur, and you lose the one that matters most in your life, God is even working in that something good, something glorious, not only for them, but for you. And you can't see God's fingerprints on this side, but one of these days you're going to see it on the other side. But this is a huge and glorious promise. And Paul is saying we can trust the author. He is fully in control from beginning to end. Bible says in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined and, and those whom he predestined, he called and those who he called, he justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Jesus is fully in control. We don't understand the reasons of why things have occurred in Houston or things are occurring this very moment in Florida. We don't have the reasons. But Paul tells us that God has a purpose in all of it. And he wants to conform you and I into his son's image. And as we're loving God, as we're keeping his commands, paying attention to his commands, understand both good things and bad things are going to occur in your life. But God is going to stir it all together and put it under the heat to create something glorious.
for your good and for his honor and glory. Let's pray. Maybe you're in a difficult chapter right now. And you haven't quite had that mindset or that insight to what's occurring in your life. If you're a child of God and you're keeping his commands, God wants to create something that's going to be intrinsically good for you and for those around you who will be encouraged by your faith. Don't live in fear. Paul doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in faith, knowing that God is working. Call out to him. If you need to repent, cry out to him in repentance. God, forgive me. Help me to walk with you and to trust you. Jesus, I thank you that you understand. We don't have the answers, but Jesus, you are our answer. And you are our sovereign God who's fully in control of everything. You've got it from the beginning to the end. You see what we can't see. God, help us to have hearts and eyes that trust you. Who know you. That know you are working. Wherever you're at this morning, would you just cry out to him? Say, God help. Father, I pray that you would use this time of invitation. I know that, God, people are here doing business with you, both here in the chapel and in the video venue. God, you hear those prayers. I pray that you would encourage their faith. If there's one here this morning without Christ who needs to surrender to you, that, God, today would be the day of their salvation. God, use this time of invitation for your glory and to minister to your children here in the service this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you need to 